Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. We're going to talk about game development with Java. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Java and JavaFX are probably not the first options you consider if you want to create a game application. But the FX gel library allows you to do precisely that, create games that run on all platforms with the same code base as we are used to with Java. And even without an extra library, the JavaFX components and canvas provide many animation and gaming possibilities. Let's learn from some experts why Java should be on your game development language list. Hi everyone, I'm Almas. Uh, I'm a principal lecturer in computing at the University of Brighton. I'm also one of the department heads for computing and robotics. These days, most of my work is focused around developing AI for robots. So one of the projects that um, I've started recently is around developing sort of brains for different types of robotic devices and then connecting all of them uh, under one um, piece of software. So you can think of it as swarm AI, if you will. And it allows uh, robots to kind of communicate, collaborate on achieving a specific goal. When not doing that, I've got a bunch of open source projects on GitHub. Um, these are mostly around Java, Kotlin, and JavaFX. And finally, uh, some of these are also recorded as practical tutorials on YouTube. My name is Gerrit Humboldt. I'm working for Azul uh, as a senior developer advocate. And um, I do Java for more than 20 years, and I love it. And when JavaFX came up in 2012, I think, I mean, the, the version that was based on Java, not the JavaFX script thing, I started using it, and I still love it. Um, it might not be the best thing for writing games, but still, um, it's cool. So... Yeah, we will see. <laughs> uh, I'm Chen Zhao, and uh, I'm currently a creator of the uh, information technology company, uh, which is called uh, Wild City, a typical name, company name of a game company. And then we have a game product, which is Xtrike, uh, which is uh, already published on Steam and also Google Play. But for the Google Play part, we made a game using frame of the uh, Flutter, Flutter game engine, which is similar to FSGL of JavaFX. Uh, and uh, we also participate in other Java-related seminars, like uh, Vertex. And uh, we also organize some uh, Vertex user group in China here, and uh, also some JUG in, in, in China. And China is a very big, com a very, very big country, so we have uh, several uh, user groups. Uh, along this country. And uh, the game we made at the beginning is just as uh, simple as a shoot-em-up game, but the name it became a little uh, a little complicated because we got more powerful to like, uh, which is FSGL. So we need to integrate uh, many things, many elements in there. So for now it became a log-like game. Okay, thank you. And I'm Frank Delporte. I'm a technical writer at Azul, a colleague of Garrett since one year now. And I do love JavaFX for quite some time. I've not done a lot professionally with it, but I've created a lot of pet projects uh, and also have been playing with game development thanks to the FXGL uh, library, which is really great. A little secret about the Fuji podcast. We have now, I think this is the 24th or 25th session. The most popular one, which has the most listeners, is the one from December, which were, was also about JavaFX, where we talked about 
uh, all the framework and libraries which are uh, involved in the project. So it's nice that we can have a, a new session around Java VIX and then especially about uh, game development. Almas, I think the most popular or most well-known library for game development in Java VIX world is FXGL that you have created. Can you tell us a bit more about it? It's effectively an extension of JarFX, and it was specifically designed to be that way. It follows a lot of the principles and, and the architecture that JarFX follows initially, which makes it almost a seamless um, integration and seamless kind of transition. If you know JarFX, then you know pretty much 75% of FXGL, because effectively like variables are just normal properties and bindings, therefore, as easy um, as you would do them in JarFX. And the initial idea was, because um, JarFX is not designed to be a game development framework, it's a very generic purpose uh, UI toolkit. So FXGL just adds the game development layer on top of JarFX, therefore allowing people to build games a bit easier because everything is still done within JavaFX, which means you could just use JavaFX to build games. But FXGL just makes it a bit easier by adding various um, real-world game development techniques. If you're saying that if you know JavaFX, that you know 75% of FXGL, does that mean that that 25% is the things you are missing in JavaFX? I suppose so. Or rather, the 25% are slightly different in terms of um, how you would use it. So anything UI-related is exactly as JarFX. You just have extra um, UI nodes to play with. Um, the other 25%, I would... Well, this is a very sort of arbitrary number, I suppose. Uh, and these are sort of things that add controller support, for example. So a, a bit of C++ in there as a bridge between um, JavaFX and um, hardware um, tools or hardware um, code related to accessing um, controllers, for example. Mm -hmm. So that would be one of the things. The other, I suppose, uh, things like networking, um, saving, serialization, deserialization, and stuff like that. And like a co collision detection that, that a rocket can hit something, is that also something that is part it's of It's slightly FGL? modified because, mm -hmm. well, JarFX already has collision checks to some extent. If you think about a node um, having a layout bounds object, which can be used to check if they're colliding or not, um, it's slightly extended in FXGL because we've got things like um, separated uh, separating access theorem, SAT, for objects that are, say, rotated at non-zero angles and a way to um, create a spatial, um, almost like grid, spatial system where we can separate objects that could not possibly collide because they're just too far from each other using grid index, uh, indexing. So there are various techniques, again, on top of what JavaFX already provides to make it easier uh, or more performant, specifically mm -hmm. for the use case of games, which makes it a bit easier in, in the sense that the architecture allows us, or the use case, because FXGL is designed specifically for games. Um, JavaFX is designed to work everywhere, mm -hmm. which is why it's quite difficult to actually construct the architecture of JavaFX. Yeah. Whereas FXGL's architecture job, if you will, is a bit easier because it just focuses on games. 
but you can actually do a lot more. We have some Fuji posts. Yes, yes, yeah. you can. <laughs> we have articles about that where we created, I think it was a project we did together, a dashboard with graphs showing yeah, different right. data. So with most open source projects, once you put them online, they start a known life. You have no clue, I guess, in how many projects it's used, but do you have a rough, you wrote a book, so you can probably tell on the, the number of cells of your book how popular it is, but do you have an idea how many projects use every year? Uh, not really. I mean, in terms of GitHub uses, currently it says that, well, it doesn't even, currently my page doesn't show how many projects are actually utilizing this project. But in terms of downloads, it can get to, I think, 30,000 unique downloads per month. I don't mm -hmm. know whether it's um, big or not, because I have nothing to compare to, against. To compare, against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know one user, and that's Schengen, uh, you created your game with, uh, with FXGL. Can you tell us more about the game? Oh, yeah. Well, the game is, uh, at the beginning, is just a shooting map of the game. Well, we, at the beginning, we create our game engine by, by ourselves, but uh, we don't have too much experience with it. And after several years later, I just we just noticed a wonderful tool, which is FSGL, a game engine, uh, which is created by professional people. So we try to migrate our games. After the several months, we successfully migrate this game to the FSGL, and uh, it greatly reduced and simplified our, simplified our codes and uh, make our game development much more easier than before. So I think this is a wonderful tool. So we, that's why we celebrate ourselves. Uh, we Usually we share some experience on the Twitter. So we just write some code to see how difficult uh, uh, before, uh, before we use in FSGL and uh, uh, how easy after we use, we use in FSGL to create it. Uh, and the game is already made like seven years, I, I don't remember, <laughs> but it's still, still progressing. It's already published on a Steam, but it's still on the early stage. If you say that you could simplify your code and improve your code by using FXGL, so what were the hard parts that you had by creating uh, a, J a game in Java that now was solved by FXGL? The most difficult part is 3D things, 3D parts. Well, especially if you want to integrate the 3D part and the 2D part into the onto the uh, same screen, then, then things become a little bit messy. And the good news is JFS provides a subsync, a component called subsync, which which made this possible. So we hope this will be will make things easier to do. Yeah, I've seen, I think, a project by you, by Orango Mango, who's also doing a lot of game development with Java VX and sharing that on Twitter, that indeed the combination of 2D and 3D can be quite uh, challenging. A little bit challenging. And I think the uh, FSGL can do this much better than we expected. We have made some prototype of this uh, integration of 2D and 3D games. And uh, we can create uh, HD 2D-like uh, effects. Garrett, you have been tweeting a lot recently about retro gaming. So you found some kind of fascination in retro games? I, I'm, I'm not so young anymore. So I mean, I grew up, um, there have been the first versions of Pong and these kind of things. 
And then uh, all these arcade games came up and all came up. And then it was uh, for me always fascinating to see these these games and play it. A good friend of mine, the parents, they had a shop where you can rent card games. So we went there every day and have been able to play without paying for it. So, um, but I never wrote a game. So, and then it, I, I helped out at the school of my son and uh, saw one of the, the kids coding a game. So, and I thought, hmm, maybe I should also do a game. So, and then I started really from scratch and created this SpaceFX game just for the fun of it. And I don't want to use any libraries or something because I would like to experience like the reverse engineering, right? So how to do these kind of things? Uh, that was the main challenge. And that was quite fascinating. And I stopped after four levels because then I, I knew everything that I that I wanted to do. And always when I have some time, then I stumbled upon this um, Arkanoid, which I played a lot, and then a Tetris and Load Runner and all these kind of things. And it's uh, for me, the fascinating part is to, to really, like I said, reverse engineer the games, right? So to figure out what is the, what did they need to do to make it happen? And it's really interesting. You stumble upon some problems that you never thought about. And um, then that it's just fascinating to me. And I was never a fan of 3D gaming. So I'm old school, 2D side scroller top scroller stuff like that or jump and run this is really something that i really like and, and like i said so i never tried fxgl to be honest and uh, I, I probably will never do because i also never tried this swing gaming engines and all this because it's for me the fascinating part like i said it's, it's figuring out how this works and that's quite interesting so yeah that's the main reason why i'm doing that I saw also some messages from you about the difference between using Java VIX components and animating those or drawing in the canvas of Java VIX. Can you explain a bit what's the difference there? Java VIX um, has the scene graph approach. So this is really, it's nice when you create applications because because then you you can create like this form-based things and you, you have all these interactions. It's all done easily in JavaFX and you don't have to care about drawing and redrawing and all these things that we know from Swing. Well, it was not that easy. And I remember the days when we didn't have the canvas node. So that was really tricky to do some special parts in JavaFX because there was no ability to draw something like a noise, for example. It was not possible. So then they came up with Canvas and I knew Canvas already from HTML5. And this is for me the, the best way to, to write at least 2D games, right? So um, uh, because the nodes come, they come with some overhead. If I remember right, it was 8K per node that you get at least. And if you do a lot of nodes on the scene graph, then it really gets slow. So especially when you start using uh, effects like shadows and all these things. So I figured out that if you do it the old-fashioned way, so instead of rendering a shadow, you just draw a transparent box or something like that, which is much faster. And in Canvas, it's enough for gaming. I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of these realistic games that look like the original outside. So I'm more a fan of, it, it, like the Nintendo games, right? So they don't have the best graphics, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of fun in the game. And Canvas is, is great for that because it's really fast. For the, at least it's fast enough for me for, for the stuff that I'm doing. So that's mm -hmm. the reason why I switched to, to Canvas completely. I draw everything on my own. 
Um, and if you have, for example, sprites, then you can use sprite maps and uh, or image maps and use them like like it was in the past. So it's mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting approach. Almost is that a bit the same way that FXGL is using? Well, FXGL provides its own canvas as well, which is effectively just JRFX canvas. But the core uh, utilizes the same graph approach for um, un until you run out of performance effectively. So if you run out of performance, you probably want to rethink your approach and potentially go back to canvas. But by default, everything is represented as a game object, um, which is known as entity. And each game object has a view component attached to it. And that view component is the thing that renders that entity to the screen. Do you really think the canvas is a better component compared to the JFX components? Because we use canvas to create the game engine before. But it seems like if we, if we would compare the, the canvas-based game engine to the FSGL, it seems that FSGL gets better performance compared to the canvas. Mm. I think, Garrett, you wrote about that also. That, that it's about how you use the canvas. You can That's also right. do it wrong. Well, I think I used that correctly. <laughs> that I'm not sure about uh, Well, yeah, it, it does depend on how the whole thing is being used, I suppose. Because it's just one node, it's for simple operations like drawing rectangles, um, it, it should be very fast. But when it comes to um, actual games and when you have lots of elements uh, that are kind of interconnected, intertwined, I think it depends on the individual use case. For example, for a game, for an RPG game called Zephyria, that had a massive um, map that could not be drawn um, as a scene graph node. So instead, it drew it into a writable image buffer. So it had writable image as the node to go to, into the scene graph. But it was kind of like, um, viewport into the entire map, if you will. And that allowed us to get the necessary performance uh, for that specific game. Mm -hmm. By default, FXGL will use the scene graph node approach. And if you start kind of hitting um, performance bottlenecks, then it's all down to just profiling and then figuring out what exactly is causing the bottleneck. You shared some videos, uh, Almas, with quite an impressive amount of fireworks for instance, and, and big animations. Are these all on top of FXGL, these demonstrations that you provide? Yes, all of them are done in FXGL, and most of them are done without any optimizations to them. So they're just basically written as if they were written in a very quick way. Because that's usually how you approach software development, right? You, you try something really quickly and then see if it works. If it works and it is, its performance is acceptable, you just leave it there. Mm -hmm. unless you have time to come back and refactor. So in fact, all of them are more or less just the first draft implementations of various effects. The particle system is reasonably efficient uh, within the FXGL um, library. But there was one use case where it was up to uh, 10 million particles, I think it was. That cannot be handled by FXGL natively. Uh, I had to go down to GPGPU level um, to be able to render so many particles. But again, that just demonstrates that JarFX has the tools and all the utilities needed should you need that extra performance. Uh, you see, you quickly uh, draft some examples like that. I think that's also the approach that Garrett is taking because everything you share as, as these retro games is something that you have done while waiting for a plane or being on a plane. That means that's your favorite hobby. <laughs> 
while waiting? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I do JavaFX now for, I don't know, uh, yeah, since it's on the market and um, only did that. Uh, also do some Swift and HTML5 stuff, but uh, if you know how to use it, it's really easy to do. And if I have time, it's it's not the actual coding, right? So the, the problems you solve in your head some at some time, and then you code it when you have the time, which is um, probably at the airport or on the plane. Uh, when I have time and, and wait for something, then I can just continue working on that. So... Um, yeah, that's that's uh, indeed my favorite thing to do <laughs> when I have spare time. I I love to to write those those games or other stuff. So, but I always like the visuals. So, mm-hmm. and the retro gaming was really something that I enjoyed a lot. I'm not a game programmer at all, so I I miss all the concepts. I have no idea how it works. I really try to make it work with the knowledge that I have. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, till now it worked for the stuff that I did. <laughs> What was the main challenge that you found while porting a retro game into Java? Uh, the main challenge is figuring out the the game idea for me because I usually I look up YouTube videos. You always find a video about the original game, like for example the Arkanoid game. So I found a, a guy who recorded the complete game from the first to the last level in one video. So I just watched the video and tried to figure out what it's going on and how are the animations done and all this. And then I draw all the stuff on my own and created the animations on my own and, and did all of those things. Um, it's figuring out how it works from just watching it. That, that's, mm-hmm. that was the main challenge. But uh, this is if I, if I reverse engineer an existing game. For SpaceFX was different because this game was just, there was no game. I just started and then I stumbled upon all these things like, okay, I need enemies, then, oh, how to do that? Then they have to fly somehow through the through your screen, and then you figure out, oh, they have to follow some splines to make it more realistic. Then you figure out, oh, they only should shoot if, you, if they see you, really, if there is some kind of attack angle. And then you come from one point to another, and, and that's really interesting. If you see the game evolving over time, it gets better and better and more fun. And the only thing to make it better is to play it, right? So you, you play it and then you say, ah, now I'm missing something. So how to do that? And then you look it up and you implement something, try it. Ah, it doesn't work. Try again until it works. And, and yeah, so this, that's how I did it. And then that's mm-hmm. that's a, quite some fun to do that. And I think all of us have been experimenting also with the Gluon tools to be able to convert an, an, a Java app to a mobile app to have it running on, on a mobile phone. I'm wondering for, for Steam, how does that work, Cheng? And you have to do some additional steps to be able to upload a Java game to Steam? Well, actually, you don't have to do too much things uh, if you up, uh, upload a game to the Steam because the Steam client can help you to execute some system commands so that just like a Java, Java and then the main class. So compared to the uh, mobile channels, Mobile distribution channels, the Steam channel is much more friendly compared uh, to the use to the developers. Mm-hmm. And you have the latest Java versions on there. Well, we create a, a debug system, a debug page of the of our game. So we show the uh, which uh, Java version and uh, which Java FX version and uh, FSGL version we are using, and uh, just just for the de- debugging purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. for that. 
Yeah, I got a question about the FSGL. So FSGL is very powerful for the organization. I really like the view component part, but uh, is it possible to extend the view component to provide a much more like animation support, like 3D animation support? That's a very good question. For, for 2D, uh, I think it's reasonably straightforward to extend mm. that because you're effectively just adding nodes to it. Um, as for 3D, um, I think it's not the structural limitation there, but more of a kind of 3D animation um, sequence and how to actually store that. Because currently, um, FXGL can only load uh, .obj files, which is plain text files that represent mm. a 3D mesh. After that's been loaded, we obviously need to apply some kind of 3D animation. But how that animation is stored and what data we need to be reading in, I think is going to influence how we might extend either view component or something else in order to actually run the animation. Um, in fact, it's one of the sub-projects currently available. And that sub-project will be completed by one of our students within the next academic year. So from October, there should be a student working on that sub-project and we should be able to get it done by the end of hopefully the next academic year. So it's looking promising. But in terms oh. of how we're going to implement, uh, we haven't had a chat yet. So we'll, we'll figure it out at some point. And we've got a, a lot of students coming to our user group. So I just wonder how many Chinese students in the university, in the Brighton University, are helping creating FSGL? I wouldn't know necessarily because our student groups are quite large. We have a large number of international students. I wouldn't know where they come from, but we certainly have a large group of international students. And we do use FXGL for um, developing various coursework, or they use it to develop coursework for their uh, subjects, for their modules throughout their um, studies from the first year until the final year. And that actually kind of relates to also use of JavaFX as well. I try to introduce JavaFX as much as possible within various software engineering modules so that students get this exposure to uh, building rich client applications with a modern UI toolkit. Recently, I got a, a bunch of students coming to our user groups. And they come from the Hong Kong University and uh, and the Chinese university, you know, I think FSGL and the JavaFX become more and more popular because the Java language itself is much more easier to to use it. Yeah, I suppose Java as the programming language, um, it's um, more productive. I want to say, if you pick something like C as an example to compare against, mm -hmm. then um, I suspect, given the same amount of time for both Java and C developer. The Java developer is likely to be slightly more productive because uh, there are just certain things that are done, done easier. Um, I suspect the whole build tool process will, will take a while in C++ to, uh, using C++ to set up. So from that angle, there is a lot of appeal to learn Java as one of the first languages. And we certainly, as a university, teach Java as uh, one of the primary languages. And once you have a primary language, then if you want to build something with it, like a game, then why not? And the, the question is, I suppose, are there tools that help with game development? So like JavaFX, that's a library that you can use 
to build games um, as well without FXGL. And people will obviously use these tools because you know Java is their programming, uh, primary programming language. They want to build a game and they can certainly pick the tools the necessary. So uh, Almas, uh, you as a university lecturer, so you're using Java, Java, VIX, FXGL to learn your students to, uh, to learn programming. But on the other hand, you also get your students involved to uh, improve FXGL, which I think is a very nice approach. <laughs> uh, it certainly is. It's a win-win situation because um, when students graduate, one of the uh, tasks is to build a or design, develop, and then complete a project. And this is done over the period of, um, well, almost an entire academic year. And we get students from different backgrounds. We've got computer scientists, software engineers, game developers. And you can treat FXGL as all three, I suppose. There are certainly computer science problems that need solving. So think graph theory, set theory, uh, pathfinding. Yeah. Uh, software engineering-wise, uh, you need to be able to scale your applications. And FXGL can work as an architectural project because there's quite a few elements that you need to think about in terms of design a large-scale application. Mm -hmm. And from game development perspective, certainly FXGL works as a game development platform. So that allows us and the students to find a project they're interested in and work on that project, which has reasonably real-world implications and impact, rather than just focusing on a purely theoretical project, which may not be as interesting. It's a bit the same approach that I use at the Swiss University, FHNW. We have an interview also on Fuji about that, where they, for instance, calculate the shortest path between two points. That's a typical mm. software problem you need to solve. And they created a game with a lot of lets and buttons and really a, a game approach where they combine electronics and programming and Raspberry Pis and Linux. And so students get indeed involved with a lot of different technologies to solve a specific problem and, and learn. I'm very happy to see that Java is indeed used a lot in education uh, for all these, these uh, topics. Why the FSGLI is using Kotlin to create some parts of the game engine? People always ask questions like this, whether Kotlin is better than Java or Java is better than Kotlin. So I always feel difficult to answer these questions. So maybe FSGL can help me out. The larger question of whether Kotlin is better or not better than Java, that's a massive question. I'm, not, I'm in no position to answer that question. <laughs> Personally, I prefer Kotlin because it has this conciseness about it. It mm -hmm. loses some of the verbosity that Java has and kind of introduces things like nullable types. So they're actually treated separately as things that cannot be null, for example. And certainly the collections API where everything basically have, has the same API, whether it's a sequence, a collection, or a list, or an array, or any other kind of data structure that can store elements. All of these have the same API in Kotlin that um, makes it just kind of the development more streamlined compared to Java. But Java certainly has this um, feel to it that I cannot quite describe. And it feels, I know, like cleaner to some extent, but I wouldn't be able to define what clean means within this context. <laughs> um, 
In terms of why Kotlin is in FXGL, partially because Kotlin came out at some point uh, during development and I was learning Kotlin. So what's the best way to learn than to you know, just use it? So I ended up building a bunch of things in FXGL that um, used Kotlin and it just stayed there. We have a bunch of developers who contribute various things to FXGL. Some will use Java, some will use Kotlin. It's a hybrid project, which makes both languages equally viable mm -hmm. and easy to contribute if your primary language, say, is not Java. As for functional difference, I don't think there is one, um, apart from certain things that are just easier to express in Kotlin, certain things that are easier to express in Java. Uh, I think that's the best I can do in terms of answering this question. I guess it's a nice <laughs> answer. And I think it's also a nice example of how Java and Kotlin are just, you can just mix them mm. and they per work uh, together perfectly. Yeah? Java and Java VIX for mobile apps, we already briefly touched it. It's not a very popular option, but it does work and it is available. What is your opinion about this using Java for mobile? And I know, Garrett, for instance, you created some examples. You've been on the experimentation path. I started with that uh, before Gluon was even a thing. So uh, that was RoboVM in the beginning. And I did directly when it came out, I, I tried it and uh, made some some of the JavaFX stuff work on my iPad. And I did it. I used it even a presentation at JFocus in Stockholm. I don't know when it was, 2014 or 13. I like the idea that you can use your JavaFX application on a mobile device. But I also use Swift. I also did Android. It's, it's hard to compare that. So Swift feels more natural on iOS. You can do a lot of stuff uh, using the Gluon uh, framework, even on mobile. But because you have to change the UI anyway when you go to mobile applications. This is a fact. Because on the desktop, you have horizontal orientation. On the mobile, you have vertical. And you have endless scrolling and all these things. And this is just different. And you have to create the UI anyway. That means you can only share the, the logic. And for applications that... I'm not sure if it really makes sense. I was a big fan of it in the, in the past. But in the meantime... I think it's easier to get developers if you really would like to do a mobile app and use the native language of that device. It's Kotlin for Android and, and Swift for, for iOS. But still, I like the idea when I create something in JavaFX that I could port to mobile. And it's so easy to do. So I, I did that with all the, the the games that I created. So like Tetris and, and Arkanoid and SpaceFX. I also created a, a native, uh, or let's say a mobile version that is a native app in the end. They use GraalVM to create the native image. And it's fast. It's great. So it's really good. So I can't really blame it that it's slow. In the beginning, it wasn't that fast. But if you use it today, there are even no big constraints anymore. So you can really just build it and deploy it. If you have a developer account on iOS, uh, this is a hurdle. You need a developer account uh, with Apple to do that. But on Android, you can even do without. And you can simply create the app by running another build 
project and that's it. And of course, you need to keep in mind that where you use the mouse on the desktop, you have to use your finger on the mobile device, which is different. And that leads to, to effects, especially in games, where you suddenly need to support touch and drag, drop, and these kind of things where you have the mouse pointer before. And, and you need to make things visible like buttons where you don't have a keyboard. You can't use the keyboard on the mobile device. And these kind of things, it's, you have to keep in mind. But if you can manage that, then it's it's really easy and it, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really a big fan to port desktop applications to mobile because this is just different. A desktop application is a desktop application. A mobile app is a mobile app. So it's, it depends. So usually you create a specific mobile UI. And then the question is, does it make sense to, to do this work just to create a mobile application? And also putting it on the App Store is possible. It's a hassle. I mean, this is just the truth. You can do it. I never was able to do that using an iOS app, like a JavaFX app for, for iOS. I, mm -hmm. I've never managed to get it on the App Store. And I do iOS development. I have all the stuff that I need. It never really worked because with all the signing of all the jars and libraries, this just, it, it sucks, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's not really a nice way to do that. So and that's the reason why I never put something on the, on the App Store. For the Android version, it's probably easier. But well, I've yeah. <laughs> not agree really about the user experiments of the App Store of Google. <laughs> it has given me some nightmares, I have to. Yeah, it's because you need all this signing, and this is not really part of the Gluon mm. pipeline, right? So because this is part of the iOS, for example, on Mac, it's the iOS pipeline. So you need to sign not only the jar, but all the classes, all the libraries, everything within the file, <clears throat> to make it work. And then there are additional steps you have to do just to be able to put it on the App Store. And in the end, it was for me too much trouble. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the time to do that. So I decided to not do it. I just give the the code to build it for mobile to the people. And if they would like to do it, then they just should build it on their own. I have some done some experiments and I have GitHub actions who who are doing the build. And who should be able to publish it, but that's also where I get blocked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean. It's, the user uh, experience it was never, of the stars, never yeah. good. It was always bad from the mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. It's um, This is not really Gluon's fault. This is just the problem with putting something on the App Store. Yeah, the store is yeah. complicated, so it's mm -hmm. not easy. So that's why I was happy to hear that Steam actually is, is easier <laughs> and that it's easier. Much more yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah, and Chang'an indeed has his game on, on which is a Java game, is, is on Steam uh, available. It's still a Java game, but well, I think that the difference between the Steam and the Google Play is you don't have to create a native image for Steam. You can use, use it like a regular Java application. You don't have to make a native application. But if you want to publish on the App Store, you have to make a native, uh, native image. And about the interaction with mobile games, I know in FXGL you have some virtual joysticks and stuff like that that you can add to your game where you are missing a keyboard. So there are indeed a lot of possibilities. And like you were mentioning, you have Gluon who can interact, who has a library to interact with audio and, and, and the tilt sensors and stuff like that. So yeah, there are a lot of tools, but yeah, I don't think we have that much 
Java games living in mobile worlds. We also touched briefly about 3D. Sean Phillips, who has created a, a very impressive 3D application to visualize data, who is also using JavaFX. He was telling in an interview we have on Fuji that actually 3D in Java FX is good, but not perfect. You have some experience with 3D? Well, we try to make some proof of concept uh, in the in 3D area, but uh, for now, we still need some time to, to, to investigate it. Uh, for now, uh, all the ideas come into our brains, uh, so we need, we, uh, the first reaction is we think of FSGL. So we, we just keep asking whether FSGL can do this, whether FSGL can do that. So, <laughs> maybe so, FSGL can figure us out. <laughs> back to Almas, indeed. In terms of JFX 3D, anything that is uh, reasonably primitive, so like cuboids, spheres, and cylinders, and stuff like that, the meshes for them are quite easy to define and utilize. The texture mapping onto these meshes is also reasonably straightforward once you figure out the coordinates. Lighting is not sure how to describe it. I've never been able to perfect the lighting in my scene graph. It's just interesting. I'm not sure if it's something that I'm doing wrong or something that's not quite right in terms of how it should be lit. But I'm slowly learning all the 3D aspects as well of JarFX and the things that I can provide just natively. Because I know there are some limitations related to um, something like shaders, for example, which whilst I think technologically possible, um, are, are not the most straightforward to implement from native JarFX. Materials might be another thing. I think there's only one type of material available by default which may also um, be extended in future versions of JavaFX 3D. Mm. But if it's a reasonably simple scene graph and you need to animate a few things in there, that should not be a problem. Well, actually, um, I think the uh, FXYZ library is worth mentioning because a lot of FXGL's 3D code is based on um, FXYZ and tries to kind of integrate that into the game world that FXGL knows about and defines it as such. So if you needed to do anything related to 3D, I think the best place to start would be um, FXYZ, actually, because mm -hmm. it will have a, a bit more stuff to play with. It's the same one that Sean Phillips is using for his, his application. And that's and the one he, he wrote with um, uh, Jose together. Yeah. So they wrote Indeed. it a couple of years back. And I heard some historically fact that, that actually JavaVix 3D was on a pot to become really powerful, but yeah, because of some choices somewhere in the development, uh, it was actually postponed and probably still waiting to be further improved. And then luckily you have these libraries <laughs> that come okay. in. in I, I think I saw the vi uh, video uh, on the YouTube. He thinks they create a chess game, right? With the three D, three D animation of JFX. So is that is it open source? That where we can find a source code of that chess game? This is available. So um, I know that uh, because I worked at Oracle at that time. So uh, we made it available. It it should be somewhere. That was a nice demo. But there was an even better one where they used uh, Java FX three D to visualize a port with all the containers and a container terminal. That was a really impressive demo 
where they did a, they had a camera flying around the whole area and in real time they can move uh, these carriers that carry the containers on the yard and all that. That was really impressive. But unfortunately, that was only a demo. So it was never really, yeah. So this source code is not really available. And I think it was just a proof of concept. But it showed in a quite impressive way what is possible if you know how to do it. Unfortunately, that never really made it further into the development pipeline. So for these demos, they they tweaked and hacked a lot so <laughs> to keep it short. So it's really, it looks great. And that was the main purpose. It has to be a great demo. Yeah. So that means it's not really the standard. So, but I totally agree to Almas. So you, the, the basic stuff works, but uh, it, it's missing the more advanced 3D things. And probably they never made it into development. They had some some nice plans, but yeah. Then people left and Oracle decided not really to continue working on that. And then that's the whole thing. We have an article on Fuji about 3D and JavaFix, some historical indeed looking back at what happened. And I think with some links to that chess game, I will look it up and, and add it to, to the show notes. What we didn't mention yet is, is Swing. Swing is another UI tool within Java. Uh, as far as I know, I didn't use it a lot. It's a long time ago. Is it still evolving? Is it comparable? How should we look at it? Swing versus JavaFX? Oh, it's. Um, I did a lot of Swing before JavaFX came out. And um, Swing is a totally different approach. It's direct drawing. So that means it's like the canvas all the time. It has some kind of components that, that have substructures like the buttons and all these things. But in principle, you have some kind of a canvas where you draw on and it's up to you to clean it, to redraw the dirty areas and all these things. The drawback is that when creating apps, it's a hassle to do that because you have to keep track of all these dirty areas and repaint them correctly. If you know how to do it, it's really fast. And I bet it can be at least as fast as JavaFX. I, I, it could be faster, I, I can imagine, because they had ports to OpenGL, this juggle mm -hmm. thing. The problem with Swing is that the API is quite old and you can feel it everywhere. So it's not really that convenient. You don't have these properties that we know and it's just old, right? It's mm -hmm. in there since I think Java 1.2. And that I think was the, the version where Swing was added. And, um, and you can feel it in the app API everywhere. But if you know Swing and then you saw JavaFX, you see that it was done by the same people. So they took over a lot of the same concepts. Um, but in, then they um, added the scene graph functionality to JavaFX, which is not in Swing. And um, there is no really active development anymore. They do some add-ons. I think they added support for high-risk monitors and all these. But um, as far as I know, there's nothing really going on in Swing because it, it has a lot of libraries also. There's a huge, at that time, and that's some of the problems that JavaFX has these days. In the swing days, there have been companies that created libraries and they sold them for a lot of money. And they have been good libraries. Uh, and this is not, not really the case these days anymore for JavaFX, hmm. which is probably uh, a reason that uh, JavaScript, everything's available for free. So why should I pay for something in the JavaFX world? But Swing in general, I would say, is um, still, it's a great framework. It, it's used a lot 
really a lot in big companies. In the military, it's used a lot. I know that insurance companies and banks they use that for internal programs so um, it's good it's not mm -hmm. bad but big difference with java fix which has a six month release cycle just like java and a, a big community still developing uh, in it so yeah that's probably also one of the big differences then Jengen, as you said in your introduction um, you're a member of the chinese vertex user group so as we have you as a guest so let's look a bit to china it's an unknown area for me so how big is the Java community there, the Java VIX community? Are there a lot of developers working with these? Yeah, we do have a lot of uh, JUGs in this country because China is a very big country. Yes. One fifth of the uh, world population living in this country. So we have uh, a lot of JUGs in here. The, the problem of this country is it, the, the area is too big. So we cannot see each other very frequently. We usually we, uh, we organize a, a seminar virtually in the internet. So uh, for the vertex, we, we all like it because this is a very small tools, not very big, just by the other frameworks. For the vertex, it only, only has two dependencies. One is uh, Jackson for the JSON passing, and the other one is uh, Netty. So, the, so this, this small tools can help us of the problems on the server side. And uh, for the client side, we use the JavaFX, and later for now, we use the FSGL. So we keep the dependencies uh, as, as little as possible, so we don't need to uh, depend on too many libraries in there. We have some kind of like uh, uh, people with the same interest in these small tools. Vertex user groups is much more active compared to the other TUGs. I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, uh, we start uh, advertising the uh, JFX on these groups, mm -hmm. and uh, people are interested in that. So mm -hmm. We have uh, more and more people join in our groups. So, But we also have some TUGs in, uh, uh, in the big cities, like Beijing, Shanghai, and uh, uh, Hong Kong, maybe. But uh, I still don't join those JUGs uh, because they People are using Java in different areas, not too many experiences we can share with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we just focus on the Vertex and the Java FX. Okay, I think I went through all my questions that I had prepared. Is there something else you want to be discussed or announced or whatever? I do have questions. So we are thinking of creating a visualized uh, visualize, uh, animation creator, something maybe we can call it an entity builder about it. People can drag and draw components on the entity. Mm -hmm. Is it feasible for, for the FSGL? Maybe we can create a Sabbath project for that? That could certainly work within the... Well, that's kind of partially the idea of the editor for FSGL. Mm -hmm. So that, that could definitely work in terms of design and development for the entity builder. Because the editor is... Supposed well, it's supposed to be like any other editor in a game engine, like Unity or Unreal Engine, where you have a, a set of tools where you can just create a game world and then export it. So far, you can create an entity, you can attach a view component with an image to it, and that's about it. It doesn't really export it to anything, so you can't utilize the output. Um, you can run it, but you can't then save it. Uh, serialize it, uh, but it's certainly possible. So, if there is any interest in that kind of line of work, 
I'm sure I can provide some um, basic stuff to work with. And I would be actually quite interested myself to join the development as well. Maybe this is a good idea for a student project. Potentially. I don't know when it's going to be a student project because I can't think of any projects that are currently going down that route. But in the future, in the near future, yeah, certainly. Well, about the FXML uh, markup language, Hmm. uh, people are complaining about this. Is it a good idea we keep using FXML or we just use a pure draw code to write the UI? I can tell you something about that. I'm not a big fan of FXML, but I worked in a project where the customer decided to do everything in FXML and uh, they used the, uh, what is the name of it? This tool they created from Gruon. Scene Builder? The Scene Builder, builder, yes. Yes. So they used the Scene Builder and they did it in the right way. So they really created small entities like button panels and all these things. And, And they just composed everything in the Scene Builder and that worked quite well. So that was really well done. And if you do it like that, then yes, I agree. I like it. What I don't really like is that you have the description in an XML file, and this is separated from the code. And then in addition, you have a CSS that all reminds me on HTML. And I'm also not a big fan of that, that you have the separation of you do something in FXML, then you have to have a controller, and then you also have a CSS file. And in all these things, you can do different kinds of, oh, you have an action here, oh, it changes the CSS and that changes the style and you have animations in code. So it's, for me, it's not really straightforward. So I, that's the reason why I always prefer to have it just in code. I also was a big fan of the CSS stuff in the beginning. And then afterwards, when I figured out I can't do anything in CSS that I can do in code, I switched back to completely code. Mm-hmm. FXML, can be nice. If you use it in the right way, it can be cool, but it's not easy to really do it in the right way because you have to break down the whole UI into these small um, parts and then you can really use and reuse them and style them separately, which is nice. But on the other hand, to me, it looks like it's a huge overhead. You create all these files, FXML files, to describe something that in code is just a few lines of code, but here you have to create the FXML, create the CSS for that FXML, create a controller for the FXML, and then in code you combine everything. It depends on the project. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it, but it doesn't mean that it's not good. So um, I saw it can work quite well, but for me, it's not really something I would use, but but that depends on on each person. And also on the project, how how you set it up. Right. If you structure it in the right way, then it can work uh, also quite good. But that's my personal opinion. Well, the typical answer, it depends. It depends. Yeah, yeah, it depends. <laughs> so then the other question is, well, when the scene builder will provide a pure draw code approach, now is it possible for the scene builder to provide another approach? They just create a pure draw code without FXML. Not that I know of. So no. this is really made to create FXML and use FXML. So you can add libraries with components and then you can drag them. It's a UI editor that is based on XML files. Right? Mm-hmm. This is this is what it was made for. So it was not to create code like it was in the old times where you have in, in NetBeans, uh, there was an editor for Swing that created code for you. 
but then at that time, you can't really change the code because when you change the code, the editor couldn't read it anymore. So mm -hmm. uh, that's the drawback. If you create code, then you need also a parser that is able to parse this created code. And to do that, it has to be in a specific format. So you can't really create code and then change it afterwards. That The whole UI builder thing is not easy to solve. And I think uh, using FXML, it's it's great for this kind of use case. Uh, UI builder is, is really great. But if you would like to create code, uh, I think this is really a big challenge. So I'm probably uh, the scene builder won't be able to do that. That may be a perfect topic for another podcast about Java FX, <laughs> where we discuss the tools. And <laughs> so yeah, yeah thank right. you. You give me a subject to put on the, on the agenda for the next season. <laughs> I think we have to conclude. Thanks a lot all for your experience, for your feedback and how you use uh, Java and JavaFix to create games. Uh, so I invite everyone to visit the links together with the podcast and start gaming or retro gaming or on Steam or uh, create your own game with FX Shell. Have fun with it. Thank you very much, uh, my guests and you, the listener, for listening to this podcast. Keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. Give me a food. Give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.